0: the Doing Diversity in Writing podcast, the show where we as authors explore the better practices of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany A. Tucker, and with me each week is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Ready? Let's dive in. Gabrielle, we are on season two, episode 11, writing interracial and intercultural relationships. You ready for this? I am. I am. How are you? I'm all right. We had the cherry blossom festival in our hometown happen last week. So all of the cherry trees just bloomed pink and white. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like, I've, it's been years since I won. Like, we had, we,
1: have one in the in Amsterdam or near Amsterdam, and mm-hmm. I've, I've been only once, and it's just stunning. But it's like it only happens for such a short period, so everybody gathers
0: like at, on the same day, and it's really busy. In Japan, there are people that will go from one end of the country and then travel with the change in warmth um, through the country because the country mostly runs north to south, so that they can stay with the sakura blooms, the cherry blossom trees, longer that's intense but also like i mean it is it is
1: one of the prettiest things i think i've ever seen yeah
0: yeah Yeah. especially when you're like in a park and there's like a water and the blossoms fall down on the water and there's like blossoms on the water and blossoms in the air it's really pretty
1: okay
0: so we have a big topic today we should probably jump into it Yes, yes. And you already mentioned it. Today,
1: we're going to talk about writing by and multiracial and cultural relationships. And since each relationship will be highly contextual, like whatever you're writing will be highly contextual and depend on your characters. What we're going to cover in this episode are mainly the types of questions that you will need to ask and answer to whatever situation you wish to write about.
0: Yeah, I'll admit this is an area I'm pretty comfortable talking about. But that said, it means I know that we are only going to scratch the surface today, which is why we're focusing on those questions to ask. Um, Biracial, multiracial, multicultural relationships show up in my books a lot. And I love the cross-cultural communication that all of these relationships have a basis in. It gives me hope. It's one of the reasons that I studied what I did in university. I get excited when I can read about multiracial, multicultural relationships or see it in my media, it does make me feel less alone and more included, even when it's not the kind of multiracial or multicultural relationships that I have in my own life, just having them, period. And I guess because I've been between between cultures so often, um, when I moved from the Midwest to the West Coast, a fellow U.S. student, I was walking into my dorm. It was like sunny outside. I walked in the dorm. I was kind of blinded. And someone yelled at me across the room. You're not an American. What what country are you from? Like they were had been talking behind my back and decided that I was not an American and I was lying about it. It's funny in <sighs> retrospect <laughs> because it was just it was on their part a complete misunderstanding at the multiculturalness of their own country, because the U S is such a large country. They'd never met someone who spoke like me before. And I had more of an accent back then, especially compared to the Midwest accent of rural Ohio, where we were at. So, I mean, at the time I just looked at him like, you're weird. Everyone here has an accent according to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not mad at them. And I mean, they learned eventually. But when I think about writing things, those are the kind of moments that can happen that can be really pivotal, really fun. They can happen inside a small town where both characters were born and raised in the same place, but have really different cultures inside the same small town. Or they, they can happen with people who carry different passports and speak entirely different languages. It doesn't matter. There's so much breath into this subject.
1: Yeah, there is. And, and just to be clear before we sort of dive in, we're not just talking about romantic relationships in this episode, right? This covers any relationship types that might occur, whether that be a romantic one, friendships, um, relationships that you might have with your classmates or your colleagues, otherwise professional relationships, that between a parent and the child they've adopted. Like, again, like there's this is why we said it's so contextual. It is because so there are so many options.
0: And that's half the fun. Most of us are writing about this without knowing it. But anyway, uh, most of us also, most of us as writers have experience um, more by or multiracial or multicultural relationships than we realize even in our own lives, definitely in our media, definitely when we're writing already. Um, This isn't as foreign to us as maybe some of the other uh, topics we've talked about before. So for example, you, Marielle, your parents were bicultural from Scotland and the Netherlands. Yes, yes, they were. Um, although my dad, he was so
1: integrated that the only thing that stood out to me while he was still alive was that my mom sometimes cooked him like a version of the Scottish breakfast on the weekends. So, like white beans, you know, tomato sauce, uh, eggs, stuff like that. And he added HP sauce to a lot of things. I don't know if you know what that is. I do not know what HP sauce is. Okay, well, if you're in the UK, that it's everywhere. Uh, so to this day, that smell just drags me right back to our kitchen table like with me and my brother and I complaining about the smell because it's 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 a very <laughs> particular smell, right? Um, but yeah, but I, I didn't really start to uncover my Scottish roots until after my dad passed away which actually is something that you could use in a book as well, right? If one if one of your characters' parents um, or if one of your characters is so trying to be integrated like my dad, like I don't think my dad had an accent anymore. Like he he spoke Dutch fluently, like really well. Wow. So he was really trying to not show his background. And that, of course, can be a really interesting plot point or character arc that can really sort of, it says a lot about a character, right? Full
0: integration into a culture that's not your birth culture says something about you.
1: Exactly. So you can use that as well,
0: right? Like even if
1: the, the, the difference or the otherness, quote unquote, is not on the surface, right? That yeah. can have a reason. Uh, so there that, that, that could be really interesting reasons why your character wants to come across as passing. Right? So this is definitely something like when you're building your world and your character, you can keep in mind. But you're right. Like these relationships, like they are much more common than we might think. Uh, and that, but that's why, you know, before we get into specifically like bi or multiracial or like cultural relationships, there's something I want to point out, especially to those who might feel maybe some trepidation when it comes to writing such bonds between people.
0: All right. So what is that?
1: That we as writers already have a tendency to write about difference. Like I was thinking as we prepared for this episode, like how many stories are out there in which the protagonist, like on their quest, ventures into new territories, meets new peoples or species, depending on the genre, new customs, new belief systems. And, you know, they have to make sense of it all and their position within that as they move towards the goal. Like how many of those stories are out
0: there? Well, let's just start with Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Um, (laughs) I can keep going. And that's just fantasy,
1: right? It also works for people like moving to another city or
0: another country or... The beginning of many, like, uh,
1: many stories begin. Hallmark romances,
0: you know, city girl moves to the country farm.
1: Yeah. Yes. So... We as writers and readers and maybe as humans generally, uh, although, you know, hashtag not all humans, like we're obsessed with difference, like different worlds, different people, uh, different ways of doing things. And I think that we as writers explore that in our writing and actively search for it in our reading as well, because we know that these connections are recipes for growth. And, and like I said, right, that doesn't go for all of us, like not everybody is that interested in exploring other cultures and other peoples and other countries. Um, but we're so used to writing and reading stories in which difference is explored in whichever way. Yeah, And that doesn't have to be about race or ethnicity. It can be about anything, like class, age, gender, sexuality, whether one is from the city or the country. You just give, you gave the example of the city girl moves to the country. And we also have to reverse, right? Country girl moves to the city and is just completely overwhelmed and has to adapt to all these, like this new space. Uh, oh, gosh, space, I read a girl. Of uh,
0: yeah, Mountain Girl. I forget the, the author's name at the moment, but Mountain Girl was a book I read that literally had that plot. And, that, and
1: the thing is that it's a very common plot, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very common um, and it's all around us. So I would say that, you know, just to take some of the fear away, when we're talking about or multiracial cultural relationships, the only thing we need to do is extend our ways of researching those other differences to include like race, ethnicity, culture.
0: We are yeah. already, you,
1: you already said it, we are already doing it. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, so,
1: <laughs> so what are so just I just needed to say that. So, what are some questions that we should be asking ourselves when we are writing these kinds of relationships?
0: We need to know where our characters are starting from. And listening to you talk, I'm also thinking about so much of these relationships are the, the cross points of where things happen like when A meets B and then what happens when they cross and you have to know what A and B are. Um, so you need to know what they know about each other's communities. What are their dispositions with each other's communities? Their presidiousness is their knowledge bases. For example, has character A spent time in character B's country of origin, or if they lived in the same country in character B's community, are there languages that character A and B hold in common or dialects? For example, me and my classmates in Ohio both nominally spoke English, but occasionally we would not understand each other's idioms. Also, um, going back to fiction, in the Disney film Pocahontas that we discussed again in episode four, season one, uh, there really isn't an explanation for how Captain Smith and Pocahontas understand each other. Like, they're just speaking English all of a sudden, it's kind of smoothed over. Well,
1: it's magic, right? Like, if she just listens to her heart, that's the song that you hear when they try to communicate, she can understand him and speak English. It's kind of interesting that it only goes one way. Like he, like
0: she listens to her heart and she can speak <laughs> English, but it's not the other way around. Interesting. I mean, how that I've listened to my heart a lot and I'm not fluent in Chinese yet. I wish be a lot cheaper. It's, right? Um, like, wouldn't it be amazing if that's how it worked? oh gosh i mean i tried i lived there for three years i was dedicated um but so uh options that aren't like just magic hand waving away language differences um in stargate sg1 so sci-fi example here we're actually leaving fantasy examples for a moment um stargate sg1 the tv series finding common languages for the interactions between the stargate traveling team that the whole show revolves around and the local worlds they step onto is a real issue for the plot because almost every episode they go to a new new uh world through the stargate and that world may or may not speak a language they've already collected it does get a little bit predictable because they have a few like it happens so often they have a few like tricks they just use over and over again. But I did really appreciate the fact that they let it be part of the plot that language differences would be an issue. Um, And most of their solutions writing this show centered around a character named Daniel, who's the language and social expert of the team. But he had also spent a lot of time being stranded off earth before the show started and had learned a lot. And he was also, had like a couple PhDs in languages and archaeology so he did like a lot of like on the spot translating and I was like oh I wish I was as smart as Daniel I'd speak Chinese by now but yeah but I
1: get that right that's much more believable yes yeah
0: yeah and I I would
1: yeah and and I would say that you know when we talk about questions that you need to ask like even if the characters that you are writing are speaking the same language or languages, um, we as part of our world world building would have to consider whether these were like birth languages or whether some languages were learned later on in life. And if so, how? And the same goes for dialects, right? I'm reading a novel right now, which the protagonist keeps noticing how another character's dialect keeps slipping. For me, that is a sign that someone is trying to hide where they're from. And that can be very interesting to the plot. Like, you know, what is it, what they're hiding, and why? So, that is definitely something you
0: could use as a plot device. Yeah. Backstory matters. I think we keep saying that. Um, yes. I say that to the people I work with. Um, so, and the depth of knowledge matters. So, where a language is learned will often also factor in. For example, my first Chinese instructor originated from Beijing, but he'd lived in the US for a very long time. He tried to speak as putonghua, which is standard Mandarin, but he had a Beijing hua or Beijing dialect accent to his putonghua. So I'm talking about different kinds of Chinese at the moment. So when I landed at an airport in Shanghai, no one there had warned me that they speak Shanghainese or Shanghai hua. And the dialect is really, really different. And Beijing in Shanghai, like some people in Shanghai will refuse to speak to you if you're speaking Beijing Hua, because there's like this competition between these two major Chinese cities. Uh, Sometimes it reminds me of like the competition between New York and Chicago, if I'm trying to give an example. So I don't remember the specifics, but I... uh, I just landed there and I was trying to talk to people and they like refused to admit I was speaking Chinese. I got to Nanjing like seven hours away by bus and people understood me there. So go figure. <laughs> but uh, in, a, in a fiction example, I know um, a lot of people know the movie Karate Kid. There's the new one that uh, is set in Beijing. So I'm not sure why they use Karate Kid as the term. But then there's the older version of Karate Kid where he actually is using karate, the main character and the the teacher in that film. And in both the original film and the new film, uh, there is an issue of languages. In the original, they had a really good explanation of how the master teacher was teaching because he had either immigrated or his family had immigrated a long time ago and he had been born there or he had immigrated. I don't remember which. But he already spoke English really well, Um, so he spoke his students' language. And then in the new version of it, um, the children that were at the center of the film, um, there was some negotiation between them as they figured out how to communicate with each other. And they both had some studies going on. Okay. I I never, I didn't know there was a new version, to be honest. Um, Yeah, it was Will Smith's kid Jaden who starred
1: in it, and it was set in Beijing. Yeah, I did hear
0: about that. I just haven't seen it yet. But it's really odd. It's called Karate Kid because that's a Japanese art form and they were definitely not doing karate in the film. That is potentially highly problematic. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I believe I saw the film in Chinese though. I don't think I watched it in English. So go figure. That's a lot of multiculturalism going on with languages. But I enjoyed it. I was like yeah. really weird about the, the name but I enjoyed the film okay. so but anyway um, I think you had something else and I kind of cut you off yeah no because because we're still talking about language I, I really wanted to like and you
1: already mentioned uh, an example before like we we definitely need to also consider like proverbs and idioms that different characters we use when speaking as well uh, and this is exceptionally fun if you're like world building like a fantasy series right like the things that people say and 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 how people who are new to this world how they respond to that that is that if you do that well um that is really fun so but just for any contemporary writers like you know British speakers of English have phrases that differ from U.S. speakers and like you said like people from different areas of the U.S. have different idioms and different phrases and as well and then there's those who speak like scottish english welsh irish south african australian canadian and so on right there are so many different kinds of In- and this is just like one language yeah
0: don't there's yeah. actually like multiple official forms of arabic there's two yes. different ways to write chinese let alone speak it yeah, yeah
1: so that is also like you know something that is really fun to explore while you when you're writing like what would my character say that my the other character might not understand or what i personally love is one character says something and then the other character understands it in a certain way and then acts on that or behaves in a certain way but they just completely misunderstand each other just because they are not aware of each other's idioms
0: yeah Or even references, like if you have two different, um, if you have two different uh, religious backgrounds, but you come from the same town, like sometimes I'll make a joke to one of my partners, but he wasn't raised in a a Catholic, Judeo-Christian type church environment as a child. So, you know, one of my partners is laughing and one of my partners is looking at me like, what are you talking about?
1: exactly but these are very common um yeah these are very common occurrences so this is definitely something that you can explore um when you're writing as well
0: yeah yeah and then um you pointed out to me when we were setting up this episode that sometimes generations will make a difference because I was talking about Karate Kid wax on wax off
1: yeah yeah because for me that's like when you when you said that right when we were talking about the episode I knew exactly what you meant. But this is where like generational age comes in because I'm pretty confident that my cousins who are all under 16 years old would look at me like I was crazy if I said, wax on, wax off. So that is, yeah. So that is definitely something, yeah.
0: I don't think this is official, but I'll just throw it out there as an idea. Sometimes age difference, especially in this digital age, almost amounts to a multicultural relationship because of how fast culture is getting created in the digital age in spaces where people didn't talk before. Because there's an entirely new way of writing English online, like that shorthand texting and everything. It's a new language that has a culture around it that a lot of people were living alongside who aren't on the internet engaging like this or engaging in different spaces of the internet aren't a part of. So it's literally cultures growing side by side. And if you're in a different age or you don't engage, you are now in a different culture. Yeah. And I've also seen, actually,
1: I've seen that happen between people of the same age, but then it just um, sort of shows how one person is completely like a ludite and the other is like really (laughs) tech savvy. Like I was literally just yesterday watching an episode of Superstore um, and one of them, one of the one of the managers, needs to look into the conversations that the that the staff have. Like they have this app, and, and she's allowed to dig into their conversation to figure something out. So she goes to the person she knows is tech savvy, and and she's like, I need your help to hack into this thing. And he's like, What do you mean? She's like, Well, I was given access, you know, by corporate to read this, read these messages so he's like so you mean you need to put in your password yeah 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 hack hack, hack into it for me and he's like that's just called logging in there's there's no
0: hacking involved
1: no and then so he does it so he's like okay so he does it he just logs in right Mm -hmm. and then he gives the phone and then they have another like a few they exchange a few sentences and then she looks back at her phone and she's like oh do it again because i somehow hacked my way into my home screen and that's just and she like they're the same age, right? So like mid-30s or something. But so even if it's not an age difference, you can use that because it compl- it tells you everything you need to know about this character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it, really, yeah. And in somewhere else, she's fluent, but she's not in a place Absolutely. where she's fluent, right? Here. Absolutely. This particular character knows everything about birds, for example. Awesome. We often make fun of these kind of characters in film or books or something and forget that everyone, almost everyone has a place they're fluent and they're confident. Yeah, And we're just making fun of people when they show up in the place that they just haven't had all this exercise and fluency built up. Yeah.
1: Even me saying the birds thing is making fun of her because that's like one of the things about her, but she's actually really great with security. Like she's the security person in the store. Mm. And she sees everything, so she's actually really an asset. Okay, um, but it is a comedy show, so yeah. Okay, yeah, let's so get back on laugh. topic.
0: Yeah. All right, so um, I think you were gonna quickly talk about how class matters too and gender, and I said the religion part already. Yeah. Um, so, like
1: I said, like this is you know all these things, all these little aspects. Like we we've mentioned so many of those identity markers in previous episodes as well all of them influence um like language and and what we what is expected is uh, what is expected of a certain character to say or what we don't expect him to say and it also influences like who is able to understand what in which context
0: yeah like even i mean we're almost parsing what culture is here but uh you can have so many, mini subcultures that you're already a part of and extrapolate that out for yourself. If you're like, I don't know how to write this, you, you know, something. All right. So back to the questions, um, language, how the characters, uh, matter interact a lot. For example, this is a special one. A child adopted from abroad may or may not remember or know their birth language after a few years, if they don't practice it. And Uh, classmates at a school may conduct their relationship in only one language and those who have parents who have migrated may feel shame about speaking or not speaking their languages uh, fluently when i lived in china i saw this play out Um, different countries actually play out where people whose parents had immigrated to another country their children came back to their parents country of origin and then watching the culture accept or not accept them because of what they knew or did not know. So yeah. just because you're normally part of something you might still end up with like a cultural clash of not knowing what's going on.
1: Yeah I've seen that a lot in in the Netherlands um, with Moroccan youth who grew up in the Netherlands right in the Netherlands they're seen as the outsider. Mm -hmm. But then when they travel back to visit family in Morocco, then they're the outsider. So there's always this in between. Yeah, you can't win, right? Because in the Netherlands, people feel that they don't speak the language right, which is often not even the case. But then when they go back to Morocco, they have a Dutch kind of, they have an accent, right? They don't speak the same or they're not as fluent.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you were talking about Kim's convenience store. Yes, when we were going yes. over
1: this. Yeah, that's another example um, straight from, from a fictional setting. This is, and I think I've talked about this show before um, On on, I don't know which episode that was. So this is a comedy show set in Toronto about a Korean family that owns a convenience store. And when a cousin from Korea comes to visit like tension arises between her and the daughter of the family because the latter doesn't speak that much Korean like she can say hello and stuff like that and, and like inquire how people are doing but that's like it so when confronted with this family member who speaks the language fluently and is better at explaining certain words and terminology to the daughter's non-Korean friends like it makes the daughter feel like she's not Korean enough and she starts lashing out um So yeah, this is also definitely something uh, that we see yeah, uh, and can definitely be a a plot point. So what other questions need to be covered? Like, what else do we have?
0: I feel like we're touching on a lot of points of what happens when people live in a multicultural, multiracial context all the time because people end up on a spectrum. But um, going back to the core topic, depending on the intimacy of the relationship or context, touch would be something. I mean, Mm -hmm. all the five senses are going to be involved in these relationships. You mentioned smell with your father's HP sauce. Um, But coming back to touch, for example, in a romantic relationship, what kind of touch does each culture find appropriate? And then how does that couple negotiate that? And in which settings Um, do they code switch depending on the location um, or the generation that they're around for each side? One size uh, may not fit all, even within the same relationship. Like in my relationships, we definitely haven't used, we've definitely code switched depending on where we're at. And then code switching can be a really interesting plot point. Uh, I was much more touchy with my host mother in China than I often am with older women in the U S even ones I'm close with. So like the boundaries just change so much. And then because, because I was in China when I was with my host mother, who is Chinese, the Chinese um, customs were the dominant context of that relationship. So I used the Chinese com- customs as much as I could in that relationship, taking my cue from my host mother. So that, that's one way to negotiate things, um, is to see the context and try to decide what's the, the dominant ruling cultural narrative at that point in time, that's happening.
1: Yeah, I, I would add that physical space, you know, is also something that these relationships have to negotiate, and that can be different, let's like, like, say, between private and public life. Yes, for, for example, you know, whether or not public displays of affection are accepted, is very much based on culture. And to add another identity mark to that, in some cultures, public displays of affection may be considered normal, like they are here in Cyprus. Until it's romantic displays of affections to members of the same sex, which I have not seen yet in Cyprus. Yeah, we've talked about which that. Which s- says a lot about the culture that you're in and the country that you're in as well. Yeah. What is and is not
0: accepted. Yeah. So what is acceptable in public and what is not? I saw a lot more physical affection between people of the same gender when I was in China than I did between romantic couples. At least for anyone older than 30, it was a little bit different under that. But I was there, you know, a couple of years back, and China is a country changing very fast. So don't go write all of your novel based on one comment I made on a podcast of something I saw eight years ago. Well, never write six, never, video. never
1: write a novel based on one comment on a podcast or yes. a comment in one book. Yeah. If you research. do that,
0: you've missed the rest of our co- podcast. Yes. <laughs> what is appropriate or not appropriate, public or private. I used a bath scene once as a cultural device, as a cultural norms establishing device. That was a really long, bad way to say that. I used a bath scene once as a plot device in a novel. Um that makes fantasy, more sense. Yeah. <laughs> a fantasy novel, actually. Uh, character A was learning about the cultural norms in her new normal because she had kind of moved to a new space and cultural b was teaching them albeit in a roundabout way about basics of this new society and what was acceptable or not acceptable
1: you you meant character b right i think you said the word culture too often now character b was but teaching yes. them. yes, yes. there's yeah, too
0: many okay. c words in my mouth right now right okay so there can be so many
1: differences between cultures and these can range from like really big things to really tiny things like not every culture has dinner at the same time like here in cyprus or agrees on what is a breakfast food or not or even what counts as food or not altogether so this is something that you can explore or like you need to explore and ask yourselves when you're writing about uh yeah these multicultural bonds relationships yeah
0: some cultures are generally more individualistic while others are extremely fan- family centered yeah and then you end up with cultures that are caught in a transition point because cultures are never static yes some are Which more I key. found really interesting by the way like really but I
1: I mean these are things like when you said that I was like yeah I've seen that there I've seen that there I've seen that there like this this um Marvel one of the latest Marvel films um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings again I cannot remember I, I'm just like Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings you see that there as well right like that there's a newer generation they're a, more, a bit more self-centered and just you know trying to change their own yeah um, uh, desires and, and and what they have in mind for their futures and then there's the family so it's that negotiating again
0: yeah yeah Sorry, you're so, saying? Oh, that was good. Uh, some are more patriarchal than others. Some are, some make a big deal about holidays and birthdays, or they have certain ways that are celebrated that are really different than, say, the other culture that might be in your plot. And um, of course, what hol- holidays are celebrated and why. This is could be something that happens even in a really small town. If someone's a Seventh-day Adventist and someone else is Catholic, someone's going to be really big into the same Day, And the other person is like, no, we don't celebrate birthdays. So and then you can have the same holiday, but different meanings attached to it. So that's that can be a really interesting plot point. Like someone's like, it's Christmas. Yay, Santa. Someone else, it's Christmas. We're going to go to church all day. Yes and also I was thinking that there are so many holidays
1: across cultures that happen around the same time. Yes. Yeah. So who's and celebrating then, what? Who's celebrating what and how exactly? And like you said like for some people Christmas like like Easter right? For pagans Easter is this. Um for the Celts Easter is this and then for Christians and different kinds, like
0: there's there's so many different ways of, of um of celebrating. And do do you follow a lunar calendar or a Gregorian calendar or a different calendar? Exactly,
1: which is fun to explore in, in any contemporary stuff, um, but also really fun to explore in in like f- in like fantasy uh,
0: yes. or even sci-fi, actually, because if you can remake the world, you can remake it the way you want to. Um, or if you're writing historical fiction, you need to know which calendar the country you were writing in was working off of at the time. Yes. And if anyone got in a fight over it and so they had multiple calendars running at the same time, that's always fun. That And that has happened. So that's indeed like, yeah. Have you reached that sweet place where you've written out your entire story? It's a wonderful feeling. You've worked so hard for this, spent so many long hours at the keyboard or talking to yourself every quarter, then going over it again at the computer. It's been mostly internal work and it's often been alone. But now, it's time to take it from rough to polished, and for that, outside perspective is essential. Let me help you. As a developmental editor, I, Bethany A. Tucker, will take your hand, sort through your draft, answer your questions, and help you polish it until your work shines. You don't have to do this alone. It doesn't matter if this is your first book or your 10th book, whether you've published this book already and want to make it better, or you're teetering on the edge, Eager to publish for the first time. Together, we can take your book to the next level. Contact me via links in the show notes or at the art and science of words at gmail.com to take the next step. So, you just said um, about like
1: Seventh day Adventists.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they don't Adventists. celebrate Adventists. Yeah. They don't celebrate birthdays. Same goes for Jehovah's Witnesses. I used to have this girl in my, in my, in my class. Um, who I think celebrated her birthday once. Uh, and I didn't really notice that until I heard my mother talk about the fact that, oh, these, this, these poor girl and her sisters, they never get to celebrate their birthdays pro- proper, uh, properly because they're Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. I never knew that they were, and it didn't really strike me until then that the mother was always like wearing really long dresses hmm so that is also like that was when it hit me oh wait that's a religious thing like I always thought she was like super stylish and distinguished looking um and and she was but it was mostly religious
0: yeah I'm gonna correct myself it was Jehovah's Witnesses that don't celebrate birthdays Seventh-day Adventists do they celebrate no but yeah okay yeah no I misspoke on that I meant Jehovah's Witnesses
1: yeah. But it's the same. I was thinking like when I when I think about an example like that and how younger characters might not be aware of certain connotations, which I think is for the better often. Like I remember the Moroccan mother of my best friend when I was in elementary school and she just wore the most beautiful headscarves, and I was obsessed. Right. And she even gifted me one at some point and I kept it for years because I was just like it took me years before I like the culture around me finally made its mark on me and and told me that it was should be a sign of, of of being submissive, which is not something I agree with. Um yeah. But yeah.
0: That's a judgment call, and I would take it woman by woman, especially someone who's of course, of course yes. I'm culture.
1: I'm talking generally speaking.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So clothing is certainly something that differs across culture. I'm going to talk from my own experience. Here. What counts as proper and improper clothing can be a point that multicultural and multiracial relationships have to negotiate. Like, yeah. uh, I'm going to bring you over to see my family, but please don't wear your gym outfit. <laughs> like that could happen yeah. between girlfriends from high school. Um, uh, my dad, my dad will be very I he won't let me bring you over again if you come over wearing that or something yeah
1: yeah um, but also very
0: simple things right like um sometimes you have to take your shoes off oh yeah the house oh I have to ask everybody around here where I live to take the shoes off because we've kept that Japanese custom in our house we take our shoes yeah. off
1: yeah. So for me,
0: you say that's a. So I didn't even know that was a
1: Japanese custom because for me, it's uh, it's 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 what I associate with people um, who adhere to the Islam, because that's my experience, like growing up in the Netherlands. So that's like so. So certain cultures have like similar.
0: Um, yeah. When I lived in China, customs. we always took our shoes off because the street was so dirty. And with yeah. especially um, some of the rural places I lived, sanitation services weren't that great. So oftentimes people would have to defecate in public, and it could be on your shoes. So, yeah. so they um, so so removed it. Yeah. So there are like religious very
1: reasons for that and very practical reasons for that. I do it here too because there's always sand underneath my shoes these days. Yeah. But before that, when I lived in the Netherlands, that was not
0: something I had to worry about a lot of cultural things come from a practical place anyway um true. Yeah. we were going to talk about hobbies and sports
1: too right yes that was also on the list thanks for reminding me um i would say that like what kinds of sports and hobbies are allowed that's also something you you can can ask yourself when you look into this and you know this also hap- depends a lot on gender i'm thinking i don't know if you've seen it Bennett like Beckham,
0: seen it Loved it, but it's been like 12 years.
1: <laughs> yes, right. Um, so this is a film of an Indian girl living in London with her family, who, like her white English best friend, wants to join the soccer team. But that isn't considered appropriate. Like it's fine, like she's she, she is at that sort of transition age that her parents are kind of still okay, that she plays soccer in the um in the park, the park? with her male yeah. friends, but that's like it, right? She's on that age. That they, her mother wants her to understand what it takes to be a good wife. So she wants her to learn how to cook and stuff like that, right? And there are so many fears in the family around her wish to join an actual team, right? Because the clothes, first of all, are way too revealing for an Indian girl. Who wants to marry a woman who's like into sports and like this active behavior? And, you know, does this also mean that their daughter is maybe a lesbian?
0: I remember... How much love both Indian parents had for their daughter and just how much fear because they were immigrants and the age difference and she had been born in, in England and the negotiation that everyone had to go through was fascinating. Again, I haven't seen it in 12 years, but at the time I remember thinking it was well done. I actually, I think I watched it with my Indian friend who was from India. So I would be very curious to know what they thought of it. Well, she was she spent a lot of time like nodding, going, yes, yes, on certain okay. things. But um we just watched it as like a fling. We weren't like trying to do extra schoolwork. <laughs> no, but that's good to know, right? That
1: resonates. So I'm I'm thinking a like, very similar example is blinded by the light. That's a relatively
0: new one. I don't know if you've seen that one. That one I have not seen.
1: Okay, that I highly recommend it. Um, it's actually, um, I, I as I was looking into this, I realized it was by the same director and writer as Benedict Beckham Okay, right. So this film is based on the memoir "Greetings from Bury Park: Race, Religion, and Rock and Roll" by Sarah Mansoor. And it is about a British Pakistani teenager who grows up in Luton, England in the 1980s. And he wants to be a writer, but his strict father is doing whatever he can to metaphorically beat any such ambitions like out of his system, because that is not why this family moved to England, right? This is not why his father sacrificed all of Mm -hmm. that so that their son could waste that on writing poetry. And the contrast is very, made very evident because his best friend is like this white english bloke and he lives who lives across from him and he's allowed to like live a creative life you know he's in a band making music
0: it sounds like what was the the interplay between the white best friend and him though was it like supportive were they able to communicate was that shared creativity like a bond between them even though they came from different backgrounds well, actually, um, so the the protagonist, a British
1: Pakistani teenager, he wrote the lyrics for the band. Oh, so they were collaborators. They were collaborators, yes. And and the, the 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 English, the white English best friend, was always asking him, like, "Oh, I have a party, come join us." But of course, his dad wouldn't allow it, so he would be sitting upstairs in his room, looking at the party going on across from him.
0: Oh, that's so sad. It is, yes. All right. Yeah. So we haven't discussed this yet, um, but depending on um, cultural background a character has or their family or group, I guess we have actually talked about this a little bit, might be considered outsiders where they're at. So we were yeah. talking about people who don't speak their the language associated with their ethnicity on some points. And this might affect how they interact with those outside of their communities and how they try to raise their children or there's a whole spectrum here. Like, do they teach their children their language? They not teach their children their language. Why do they do that? Who do they want their children to be friends with? Who are their friends and how do they negotiate like professional versus private relationships? Do they have different standards for their multi-relation multicultural relationships or multiracial relationships, depending on where they're at and what segment of their life they're interacting with?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, in, in Blinded by the Light, like there's a reason why the father treats his family members the way he does, which is like he's a really, he becomes this super controlling entity, basically, right, in the film. And it becomes clear at the end, like in, in this area, in the area, and also in the time, like racism is surging, neo-Nazis are walking around the neighborhood, right, there's swastikas being spray painted on the walls, and the father's strategy has always been to just keep his head down, right? Ever since he like, entered the country, he's, yes, he's just head down, remain grateful, we're grateful to be here, even though they just fired him for the job that he's dedicated his life to since arriving to England, right? He's still going, I have to be grateful that I'm here. And this is something you actually often see in a certain generation of migrants, This sort Mm. of like, no matter how they treat us, we have to stay grateful. I used to have Moroccan neighbors Mm. who were very like, no, but we're grateful. And I was like, but the political climate is shit right now. And they say horrible things about your culture. And they would be like, no, but we're very grateful that we're here. And it's like, almost like that's a sentence they have to repeat to themselves, right? And this, this father in the film was doing the same kind of thing. And I think that really informs are informed how he tries and then you know fails to manage his family
0: Mm.
1: because he becomes a super control freak so actually
0: his his relationship to the culture that he's immigrated to is affecting his relationships to the people that he shares everything else with inside his own family yes yes yeah which makes for interesting characters and interesting character arcs it, it shows that this whole multicultural multi-racial relationships flow back and forth inside and outside yes. groups yeah absolutely yeah it makes really great writing when done mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. all right um so we've we've talked on this before you think about all the avenues and which directions these relationships are flowing the the effects of them and Honestly, this is why I said at the top of the episode we are going to barely scratch the surface on multiracial and multicultural relationships. It's going to be contextual every time you write, and you're always going to have to look at it, but also enjoy it because every single context is going to have its own quirks and its own funny moments and its own points of tension. And it's all on points where fusion art or fusion food explodes, and you're like, this is amazing. And I like, I agree, right? Like what you just said makes it harder,
1: right? But it's also that much more rewarding when you do pull it off. And,
0: and I we do it all the time. We do. We do,
1: yeah, we do. That's, that's, yeah, we do this all the time anyway. It's just about extending, right? Expanding our horizon. But I do want to say that, you also, while you're writing these kind of characters and these kind of relationships, what you have to remember as well is that not all of these differences between characters have to lead to serious tension or clashes, right? Yes, those are part of daily life. But just look at your own relationships with people whose backgrounds differ from yours. Like it's not all negative tension.
0: No, a lot of it's actually really positive tension, which is a thing yes so let me let me think for a second it's as important to think about the differences as it is looking at the similarities so think about the similarities between cultures um ponder how things might go smoothly between the characters uh it might be harder to think of these things but actually it can get pretty easy and really look at your own relationships if you need to mine for context and try to think about all the things that don't cause worry or tension or frustration or awkwardness. And then think about why, why they don't and why it works out so well. And use that when you're crafting similar relationships between your characters. This too, whether something creates tension or not is very context dependent uh, and should be in your writing too. And again, I think we've said this about 10 times, it goes back to your world building. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: shall we share some good examples of bi or multiracial cultural relationships in fiction and film so people have some resources to explore for themselves? I
0: think we have already shared quite a few, but let's do a few more. Okay. Uh, Because that seems like one of the best ways to do this. So I'm going to pick a historical one or near historical fiction. I'm thinking of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Have you seen that? No, I have not. recommend it i do actually it's set in a technically like a fictional country it's like a made-up european country but it's set right before world war ii and has a lot of real world context to it it feels very organic it has interesting shots it's a very much a a piece that has a certain kind of taste or style to it but The reason I bring up the Grand Budapest Hotel in this episode is the relationship between the concierge, M. Gustave, and the lobby boy, Zero Mostofel. It's both a bicultural and a biracial friendship, a platonic friendship, between an older man, who's actually a bisexual, and a young man, who's ostensibly straight. So they never get involved. It's a very platonic mentor-student type of relationship. and it's just there's so many points where they complement each other. And then when they get stressed out, those points of difference explode or complement, explode, complement, and they grow okay. together. And it's so well done. It's some beautiful acting. And it's so, it's so on the page. And there's an explosive scene that happens about 75% of the way through the film where one of them yells at the other because of their racial differences. And it's this huge growth moment. So I would recommend the film to people who would like to learn about storytelling because it's so tight and so well done. And then uh, for a sci-fi example, I'm thinking about the matrix for a famous film that a lot of people would know when Neo leaves the matrix, that computer simulation that his mind's in and enters the real outside world and he ends up on the ship with Morpheus and his crew. It's a different culture. I mean, he goes from thinking he's in the 1990s to some distant future where the world is run by machines. And he has to learn things like viewpoints, food, clothes, like all of it is new. And, and it, some of really it is disgusting, I remember. Yes. Like, he's like, oh, oh, okay. I have yeah. to do what? But yeah. uh, he's he has that childlike experience of relearning the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how about you? Um,
1: I really appreciated the way Angie Thomas represented a biracial relationship in The Hate You Give. It's a novel. I think it's either it's already a film or it's going to be a film. She really shows how many layers there are to these relationships, especially during a time of heightened racial conflict. And another example, fiction example, uh, another YA, it's the, these are both YA novels, is The Inexplicable Logic of My Life by Benjamin Alireseans. i probably not pronouncing that correctly. The book follows the life of a white American boy who's adopted by a gay American Mexican father and that of his friends. And all these friends come from radically different racial and class backgrounds. And the novel basically you know, follows these three kids, these friends, you know, as they deal with the different hardships that come at them. And it really shows, I think really well, that it takes work to understand where other people are coming from. Even when you've known them a while, sometimes. Yes. Any other examples that you're like, read this or
0: watch this? I have an R-rated example, so I'm not going to say read this to everyone. (laughs) Read this if you're over 18. (laughs) If you're over 18 and you're down for some kinky male-male uh, love experiences, it's called Axel's Pup by Kim Dare. And I'm only mentioning it because it is one of the best examples I've read of two people caught in very, very different backgrounds inside the same society, but from two extremely different um, subcultures within that society and racial differences within that same society. So they they not only clash, but they also learn to bond and come together. And both of them have to learn to literally speak in context for the other. So they're both using the same language nominally, but it means very, very different things for them. And they have to negotiate that because a lot of times in the re- these relationships, you can assume you know what the other person means and not at all. And for these two characters, it has real world extreme consequences that they have to learn through. So it's just really well done and those are all things that matter. It's a really intense book, so I don't recommend it to everyone, but ultimately they consciously negotiate meaning, language, body language in the cultural barriers that are set up around them, as well as family expectations, step-by-step in a very visible way. Um, and in embracing those and then there's also the mother that is always sending her son rosaries all the time he has an entire drawer of rosaries <laughs> just, and he loves her so he never throws them out but she assumes that because he's gay he's throwing all the rosaries out so she has to keep buying him new ones and it's the way that he's loving her and she's loving him but they really like have troubles like communicating that to each other but i have a less r-rated example And this is Steve Rogers uh, in the MCU, Marvel Universe, uh, waking up decades in the future from when he went to sleep in the ice and joining the Avengers. And I think in the films, the actors, the scripts, they just do a really good job of showing that culture in the same society has shifted and changed over the decades. And Captain America has to adapt. He doesn't always know what's going on. Personally, I... I sympathize with him a lot when like a pop culture reference goes over his head, because that was me for all of college. And sometimes he also draws a line based on who he is and his own moral code. And he says, you know, no matter what the culture is now, I will do this or will not do this because this is me. And then he's still in this new stage of the society that he woke back up in. And I just thought that was really well played out over the films. And then when he finally gets a pop culture reference, there's like this moment and then he says, I got it. And everyone looks at him like, of course he did. But for him, it was such a huge moment. And then his, his close friends will actually like, oh yeah, thumbs up, smiles. Like, yeah, we get it, hooray. Yeah, because for him, that's like a moment of belonging. Yes, right? those moments of yeah. belonging. Yeah, so
1: I would say that throughout the films, right? Captain America, um, he, he keeps being a little different because of that, right? But it eventually becomes something that people also appreciated him, that he comes like from a different set of values and he speaks in a certain way, like, you know, spoiler alert, like when he's gone, this is what they miss about him. And he always sounds so much older and wiser just because of the era he grew up in. And I would say that it's funny and actually really well done, like storytelling wise, is that James or Bucky Barnes, like his best friend from back in the day, he is such a different character, despite that they were being born at the same time. Like when Hydra got him, they kept freezing him in between missions, which is why he still looks about the same age as Steve Rogers do. But Bucky did not miss out on entire decades of human evolution because you know he got snippets every time he woke up and had to go on a mission. So he's not as detached. He probably yeah. got a culture shock every time they woke him up. But by the time that you know he joins the good guys again, culture he's shocks. not, yeah, not not as detached as Steve, I would say.
0: yeah, culture shocks never go away as you transition between cultures. I can say this from experience over many years. but you learn to plan for it and just like, ride it like a wave like yep this is gonna happen yeah so the mcu the marvel universe cinematic universe has really interactions interesting interactions between different cultures like thor breaking the glass in the diner in the first thor movie Mm -hmm. and calling for another because he likes i believe it's coffee but his future girlfriend played by natalie portman who's this really shy polite character doesn't want to take up too much space scientist person she's mortified when he throws that cup on the ground.
1: Yeah, and it's like two completely
0: different cultures going smash but yeah. they're appreciating the same thing. They both love the coffee.
1: Yeah, but the the way they do it is very culturally dependent. Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah. So I was also thinking of course as I as I tend to do about Cassandra Clare uh in her Shadowhunter series, she also has a lot of interracial and ethnic relationships like of all kinds in her work. Although Interestingly, these aren't necessarily cause for a lot of friction, since every race and ethnicity are part of each species. Right, there are all kinds of shadow hunters, warlocks, fairies, werewolves, vampires. They can have any race or ethnicity, right? But the intercultural tensions between those different groups, so between the shadow hunters and the fairies, or the warlocks and the like, mostly actually the werewolves and the, and the vampires. I think she explores those tensions really well. Um, and as for another TV series, I highly recommend watching never have I ever, which just explores like tons of the issues that we've discussed earlier. Yeah know, have you seen that one?
0: I have not okay I, have I not. do yeah, I, I absolutely recommend. It. Yeah. for some reason, what you just said reminded me of something I should have said earlier, which is uh, when we were talking about language, we also should have talked about hand signals because hand signals between different cultures can be different and mean different things. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. So that's body language, right? Yeah, body language. Yeah. All right, so um, I do have one more film example. I'm choosing film here because you can watch it in under two hours and have something to run with when you're thinking about your plot. This film is called Bright. It stars Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. Will Smith plays a cop in the LAPD, LA police department, who's just been paired up with quote-unquote a diversity hire. They literally call it that in the film. Uh, who is Joel Edgerton's character? An orc. Looks like an orc. He's just joined the police force and gotten out of academy and whatever, so now he's ready to hit the, uh, hit the streets as an actual police officer. And in this world, there are elves, humans, and orcs, um, plus some fairies that are like pests they're like like eat out of people's birth bird feeders and seem to be kind of wild and not that smart like there's this there's this scene towards the beginning of the film where will smith's wife is like uh the fairy's in the bird feeder again and he gets a broom and goes and beats off the fairy okay yeah yeah so anyway, these two characters, Will Smith's characters and Joel, Joel Edgerson's characters, uh, they aren't individuals that would normally hang out together in this world. And that's made very, very obvious. There's a lot of um, tension between the different the different races, the elves, the humans, and the uh, orcs. But this is a buddy cop genre of film set in a quote-unquote modern fictional world, like they have smartphones and stuff like that. So. It uh, sticks to the buddy cop tropes within this context of the racial issues between Will Smith and Joe Egerton um, characters front and center. Other characters are offended by the two of them working together. Will Smith's character isn't thrilled about it. There's issues in the field because they pull some orcs over, and the orcs look at um, Joe Egerton's character, who's an orc, and goes, "Why are you doing this to us? You're on our side," Um, and they. There's just tension at the heart of all relationships and especially relationships that have to go an extra mile. There has to be a draw or a threat to force two people that wouldn't necessarily hang out to stay in proximity with each other. So in this case, they're spending a lot of time stuck in a cop car together. But when that force is forcing two people together is front and center and really, really clear to the reader or the watcher, you can end up with fascinating plots because you can push things farther than the characters would naturally go. And that is, that is basically the essence of the movie Bright because they are forced into this case and they can't get away from each other and they need each other and that creates a relationship. But that is like one of the body cop tropes, right? It's
1: mm-hmm. almost always cops that are either from two different racial backgrounds or are just very different personalities and they're forced together. And that's sort of like, you know, the situation just gets completely out of control because of that. But now in the end,
0: it's all well. So In the end, they have each other's back. They figure it out. Yeah. Yes.
1: So I'd never heard of this one, but I think it just made it onto my to be watch list. I'm bad for
0: your TV watch list lately. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of
1: which, have you watched the second season of Bridgerton yet?
0: It just dropped like Friday and I cooked for nine hours yesterday. So no, I haven't seen any of it.
1: Okay. Oh, I've seen it all. And if you find yourself wanting to revel in a world where interracial relationships are not an issue, just for a moment, I would suggest you go and binge that one. Like, it does not disappoint, like, at all. Or, of course, if you haven't watched Young Royals yet, go do that, because the same happens there. Interracial relationships are not an issue at all. Which is Are there uh,
0: inter-multicultural relationships? Yes. Young Royals. Yes, also,
1: yeah, because there is the difference between the elite and then the few students who attend the same school or from the working class. And also and those kids are bi uh, bicultural okay. because they stay in the in, in the house they speak both English. no, not English. they speak both um, Swedish
0: and uh, Spanish. Gotcha. Yes. All right, so. I have one more issue to bring up, and that is the borrowing that happens naturally in bicultural and biracial or multicultural and multiracial relationships of all kinds. I'm going to refer back to our season one episode. I forget the number at the moment. Tell me if you remember it. Four. Uh, Episode four. Okay. Episode four. Yeah. Where we talked about cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. And when people come in close, even intimate contact with each other. And they do naturally pick up some of each other's stress, habits, speech patterns, thoughts, et cetera. Cultural exchange is literally taking place. And this is natural. Yeah. Uh, Our characters may have to negotiate a tricky situation with internal conflict or external judgment as they do that, as people who don't know what kind of relationships they are, don't know their situation or who they're hanging out with, et cetera, judge them or not judge them, or it might become really easy for them because their greater environment is accepting of cultural exchange. One of your characters may be desiring to draw another character into their world, but, uh, or or one character may have a reason to enter another world for a character that they desire or respect, etc. So there's a lot of different ways and reasons this could happen. This is not cultural appropriation. It is cultural exchange and in many cases, um, points of personal growth in a character's yeah. development. So I'm gonna make this a little bit personal just for a moment. Um, when I first started dating my husband, we spent a lot of time talking about our different cultures, regions of the US. We came from very different regions of the US. I was home educated through high schools. He was in public education. Um, through high school. And there were, of course, racial and cultural differences in a variety of other ways. But over time, I came to experience a certain, I want to call it dysphoria, or sense of in-betweenness between groups and cultures, because he became such a large part of my life. And later, um, my second partner also became such a part of my large part of my life, that I came to closely identify so closely with African Americans as family and my family sometimes when i'm at home i will use the word we in reference to african americans or something happening to african americans and it's because i see myself as part of the group that will experience african american circumstances at least tangentially i really try not to use that we in public because i don't want to be a performative ally but at home, it's just very natural, it's real, and it's something I eventually just discussed with my partners, because I'm like, I feel this weird sense of belonging to both ends because of the cultural exchange that has taken place at this point. So it's, a, I would almost call it um, a, 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 this issue between allegiance and lived experience those words are very messy, and I won't go into the whole thing. It could be like a whole episode of its own because when you're romantically or just familiarly attached to a certain group, and then something happens to that group, you're part of it on some level. So this to a certain extent also happened to my husband when he lived through the Fukushima nuclear incident in Japan, when mm-hmm. the there was a tsunami and all that. And he on a lot of foreigners chose mm-hmm. to leave. US military families even got evacuated, but he chose to stay. He never left and he experienced all the risks and the rolling blackouts of power outages, etc. So when he looks back on that, he doesn't say the Japanese people. He says we, when speaking about that time period in Japan, because he became part of that group that survived that, who lived through that, who had that shared experience. So in a way he's earned that moment of we-ness because of yeah. what he lived through with everyone else. So in plots, this we moment can actually not happen gradually like it did for me in my romantic relationships, but it, it can be very seminal to the moment in a bicultural or multiracial or multicultural relationship or event in a story where the p- moment where we someone sees themselves in a new way because of someone they came to know or because of a new group that has come together across lines that needs or has now been recognized. It can be a moment of you're part of us or you're not part of us. You're with us or you're not with us. And it could go either way. So uh, we could do an entire episode on just writing the you're part of us, you're not part of us moments in film or books because they're so kind of amazing. We'd probably have to spoil every single one we talked about. Yeah. But um sometimes they're done well and then sometimes they've been very self-serving, but they are always significant in the storytelling. Yeah. I think it always tells us a lot about the characters who use this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm also just quickly thinking about like the novel that the the fantasy fiction I'm writing, the, the young adults uh series that my main character is very aware that her parents have left their culture behind uh, when she was born, but her father still talks about we and her mother always talks about they. Yeah. Those pronouns matter. Yes. Yes. So that is, yeah. So that is such a hint that there is something, the father still has this draw.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: While the mother is like, no, this is in the past, and there's no resolving this whatever happened in the past, right? Yeah, but yeah, these these so like these situations can make for really interesting plot points or character arcs. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: I keep thinking of the film Avatar by Cameron. Have you seen that, James Cameron? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where there's that moment where the main character makes a choice between cultures that's definitely a we or us versus them moment that happens yeah, when he chooses also, yeah to fight for the people of the planet yeah
1: but that's like that's that's uh, like the whole uh we're so sorry for colonialism
0: trope right yeah so i didn't want to unpack about that whole <laughs> film we didn't have time for that wrong episode yeah just let's just wrap it up because like you said like
1: this does feel like we've only scratched the surface but we've been going on for so long so let's just hope that everybody who's listening to this gets something and gets gets something out of this that they feel more confident confident about researching um the the bicultural or multicultural and biracial or multiracial um relationships in their own work
0: and write in ask us questions there are definitely things we skipped and if it's of interest or matters to you or you're really curious about it drop us a line and we'll maybe get to it in a future episode yeah that's always a good idea if you have questions just let us know yes all right we will see you all next week see you next week
1: Thank you for joining us music for this show was written and produced by eric mills if you found this episode helpful please rate and review on your favorite podcast app and spread the word so other writers can find us too to get our doing diversity and writing toolkit which includes all bonus material from season one go to representationmatters.art that's dot a-r-t here you will also find our episode show notes Happy writing and see you next episode.